Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 24 about Abraham's concern for his son Isaac to find a wife. And we'll also study the tragedy of marriage in the life of King Solomon. And we hope you're enjoying these tremendous Bible studies, this great expository teaching that we're getting from Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. And we do appreciate your listenership, and we hope that you'll go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org, to take advantage of some of our free resources or to go to our bookstore that's there. But we also want to make an invitation to you for 2015 to become one of our monthly supporters of Friendship with God so we can continue broadcasting on this station in your city, as well as providing the messages for free for you, the listener, on iTunes.com, SermonAudio.com, and also on our main website, FriendshipWithGod.org. All there for free listening and free download, but it's there with your support, and we need you to become a monthly supporter if you can. You can call us at 800 247 3051, and we can set you up for that. That's 800-247-3051, and that'll help continue Friendship with God airing on this station in your city and also available by podcast and MP3 download. Again, it's 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051 to support Friendship with God this year in 2015 with a monthly donation of any amount. Or you can donate one time online at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God. So then God said to Abraham that he knew that Abraham was going to command his household. And the great example of Abraham commanding his household, and God said that God had seen this, the chapter before in chapter 17, was this great day of circumcision. It was a pretty shocking day, but it says in, in Genesis 17, this last part here in Genesis 17, 22 through 27, it says that when God had left off talking with him, with Abraham, that God went up from Abraham. And then it says right in the next verse, in verse 23, Abraham then, it says, he took Ishmael his son, and all that were born in his house, and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day as God had said unto him. That was dramatic. And then it goes on and it says, Abraham, it was 90 years old, and nine, he was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And the selfsame day, it emphasizes, Abraham was circumcised and Ishmael, his son, and all the men of his house born in the house bought with money were circumcised with him. That was quite a day. That was quite a day. But what's emphasized there? The very same day that God spoke to him, Abraham went out. And so then God was impressed. And God said, well, I know Abraham. I know he's not going to leave things undone. So when we see that, and it's emphasizing that, then he says, I know he's going to take care for having a bride for Isaac. That's the idea here. I mean, this is the Shema. The Shema, everybody starts off and they say, oh, you know, Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, it's a hero God. But the most important thing about the Shema is not the command to hear, it's what you're supposed to hear, which comes in the next verse, which is you, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then he said, and these words which I command thee this day, they shall be in thine heart, not just in your head. And then he said, and you shall teach them diligently unto thy children. And talk of them when thou shalt sit in thy house, and when thou walkest by thy way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. See, that word diligently, it means that there's a sense of urgency about all this. There's a sense of urgency. 
to teach. It's not a casual nighttime Bible story, but it's diligent instruction of the meaning and the requirements of God from the passages. As a matter of fact, one of the requirements of the bishop in 1 Timothy 3, 4 through 5, it says that he has to rule well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the house of the church of God? So now, Think of the context here in Genesis 20, 18, 19. We were just talking about this verse, I know him. God and the two angels had come to Abraham. You remember, it was the heat of the day. And then what did Abraham do? He just mobilizes everybody for this meal. You know, everybody's going to swing into action. Here he is, and God's saying, no, that, I know Abraham. That's exactly what I expected from him. You just do that, you know. I mean, he goes in and he says, you know, Sarah, you know, quick, drop everything and start making this meal ready. You know, and Sarah could have said something like, look, dinner's at 6 p.m. here. <laughs> okay, so no dinner before that time, you know. That's dinner time. I'm not going to disrupt my schedule, but that wasn't Sarah. She calls him Lord, says, okay, here we go. So Abraham, he's thinking that Isaac now, he's already 40 years old, and he's getting up there. I mean, compared to the age of them, I mean, there's a, you know, if you look in Scripture, it's kind of like a pattern to sort of figure out when people got married because, you know, we see in Genesis 11, 14 in this genealogies, it says, Salah lived 30 years, 30 years, and begat Eber. And then the next verse, I mean, Genesis 11, 18, it says, Peleg lived 30 years and begat Ru. And then in verse uh, 11, 22, Genesis 11, 22, Sareg lived 30 years and begat Nahor, and then Genesis 11, 24, Nahor lived nine and 20 years, or 29 years, and he begat Terah. So you get the pattern, you get the idea. I mean, the people are about 29, 30 years old, they're having children. So, you know, that means they get married in their 20s. Okay, so they get married in their 20s, and now, you know, Isaac is 40, and um, it's like my son Joseph, he's almost 40. I should be concerned for this. Anyway, (laughs) so Abraham's motives is to get a good wife, for Isaac, underline good. And as a valid concern, throughout Scripture, you see how important that was, that is. And all we have to look at for the grand example is our uh, great King Solomon. He was a humble person. And God says, you're like, he said, I'm like a child. I don't know how to rule. Humble, wonderful. Came to God, wonderful. Asked for wisdom, wonderful. But he had a problem. And it's very clearly described for us in 1 Kings 11, 1 through 11, when it says, but King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh. And then it says, these women were Moabite women, Ammonite women, Edomite women, Zidonian women, Hittite women. Yeah, you really had an interest for the exotic, you know. And then it describes in verse 2 of 1 Kings 11, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, you shall not go into them, neither shall they come unto you. For surely, God says, surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Because that's what's going to happen. She may look nice, smell nice, and feel nice, but she's going to do something to your heart. There's no question about it. She will turn away your heart after their gods. And then the tragic statement in this uh, 1 Kings 11, verse 2, at the end of verse 2, it says, Solomon clave unto these in love. Okay, so he clung to them in love. He was in love with all these many strange women. It was very tragic. And then it goes on, which is really hard for us to understand. It says that he had 700 wives. That's unbelievable. He had 700 wives, princesses, and then that wasn't enough for him, so he had 300 concubines as well. And it says, and his wives turned away his heart. 
See, that was the tragedy of Solomon. It was tragic what happened to Solomon. He's a son of David. The kingdom was his. And David had poured his heart into him. And Solomon had said, you know, my father loved me in Proverbs and taught me. You know, and all that we read about how the teaching, you know, that he was to say to wisdom, you are my sister, and to hold on to wisdom. And this all the teaching of David that he poured into Solomon. And what happened? Women, strange women, many women, turned his heart away because he loved them. He claved to them in love. And so it says in verse 4 of 1 Kings 11, For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, just like God said would happen. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after, and he names the gods, it's unbelievable, Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and Milcom, the abomination of Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord. Went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. And it says Solomon, they built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, in the hills before Jerusalem, and for Moloch, the abomination of the children of Ammon, and likewise did he for all his strange wives. Why did he do that? Because they were Delilahs on him. They leaned on him. Build a high place, Solomon. Build a high place for my God and my God. And my, he had 700, so he built a lot of wives. A lot of God. And it says, likewise he did for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned away from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. But he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore, the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant, my statutes, which I had commanded thee, I will surely rend, I'll tear the kingdom from thee, give it to thy servant. This is an absolute tragedy, this thing about Solomon. Absolute tragedy. And so we've got to see the reason, the root for this. He loved the wrong women, many strange women. You know, he didn't just have babies with them. He loved them. He cleaved to them. And this was in spite of the fact that God had warned the Israelites so carefully, you watch out. He said, those strange women, they will turn you to their strange gods. And this is what happened. And who warned Solomon? Who was warning Solomon? It says who was warned. Those faithful prophets. Those faithful prophets were coming to him. And the prophets would have told Solomon, like the Lord Jesus Christ told the devil. He said, Solomon, it's written. It's written. It's written. You shouldn't do this, Solomon. It's written. And Solomon, of course, he says, I don't care what's written. It's feeling. It's feeling. It's feeling. And feel, love. And they say, it's, it doesn't matter what you feel. It's written. So God was therefore very clear to the Jewish people, don't get married to those women. He said that in Exodus 34, 14 through 16, thou shalt worship no other God. See, the issue is God. For the Lord, his name is jealous. He's a jealous God, it says in Exodus 34, 14. And then he says, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice, and thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go whoring after their gods. So that was in Exodus. And then he went on in Deuteronomy 7, 1. He says, when Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, cast out many nations before thee. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations. He's, God says, they were greater, they were mightier than you. And God is saying this, and he's saying, but even so, they're greater and mightier, I cast them out. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them, and shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. So in other words, God 
did a work, and then he draws back and he says, now I'm going to let you make your decision. And here's what he said. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve their other gods. And so will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly, he says, suddenly. So Abraham, when he's back there, you know, it would have been natural for Abraham sort of to think something like this. You know, God has given me this land, and I don't own, I don't own any of this land except for a burying, a cave, you know, for burying. He says, you know, maybe if I make a marriage with somebody prominent, you know, use my son, make a marriage, that, you know, I can kind of secure some support for myself and I begin to acquire some land, start to own some land, and I can just sort of help along God's promise, see? And that would have been a compromise. And it's easy to see Abraham doing that and sitting down and thinking that through. Hmm, maybe this is some way I can get this land. It would be natural he could think that way. Okay, he could have said to God, okay, God, I got the idea. You gave me the land. Thank you, God. Okay, I can take it over from here. I can do it. You know, I'll get the land. Now, what would that have been? That would have been Abraham not trusting in God to give him the land God's way. That would have been Abraham leaning to his own understanding, which is what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, don't do that. He says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding and all thy ways acknowledge him. He'll direct thy paths. So when we come to Genesis 24, we think of Abraham there. He's thinking about the death of his wife. He's impressed with how quickly he can leave this earth. And he stops and he springs into action. He's got to get a wife for Isaac. It's for sure that Isaac's not going to get a wife for himself, so he has to do it. And that's interesting because it shows an effect that death has. You know, I remember Pastor Jim, whenever he would uh, do funerals, you know, and you've heard him do this too, funerals, and he would preach the gospel and, and how often he would point to the casket and say, now if he could, he'd rise up. Of course, everybody was looking like, you know, <laughs> like is this going to happen? You know, he'd rise up and this person would say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that, Gene? Remember how he used to say that? You know, so he did it. Now, what is he doing there? What was Pastor Jim doing there? He was using the event of death to bring an effect. See, what effect should death have? Well, Amos 4, 11 through 13 tells us, when God says, I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God in just a moment. We'd like to encourage you to sign up for Tom Cantor's daily devotional verse. It's available for free, signing up with your email by going to friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also donate online at friendshipwithgod.org to support this Bible teaching radio program. You can also call us now or after the program with your support and donation at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. It'll help us to continue airing on this station in your city. You can also call us for a free gift for a lost Jewish friend that you know that needs to be reached with the gospel. Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries will give you a free gift to reach your lost Jewish friend, and that's made available by your donations and your support, but we'll provide that free if you have a lost Jewish friend that needs to be reached with the gospel. Call us at 800-247-3051. So he's talking about these overthrew them, and then he says, and ye were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. And then he says, yet... You know, even though you're a firebrand plucked out of the burning, yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Therefore, this will I do unto thee, O Israel, because I will do this unto thee. Prepare 
to meet thy God, O Israel. For lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the wind and declareth unto man what is his thought that maketh the morning darkness and treadeth upon the high places. The Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. See, this is a great warning to Israel. And he said, look, it's a good thing, Israel, you think about Sodom and Gomorrah. I told you, right now, in Israel, in the place of Sodom and Gomorrah, they mine potash there when it came down from the fire and brimstone. They mine it. So he says, think about it. Don't just think about the money you can make on mining the potash. What do you think about when you think about Sodom and Gomorrah? There's many things to think about Sodom and Gomorrah. One of the things to think about was relatively comfortable life there. It was comfortable in their rebellion against God's law. It was comfortable. There was no real trouble in the city. I mean, until the day when some visitors came to Lot's house, there was some kind of a small commotion at the door, a small protest over homosexuality, some kind of unexplained blindness of a small group there at Lot's door, and then the departure of a very small group of just Lot and his wife and his two daughters. And then what happened? That night, the cities were destroyed. No great stir, no air raid sirens yelling out red alert, you know, going off, no citywide warning that the judgment was, but the judgment just fell. And in Amos 4, that judgment was called God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It's interesting that he it would just uses that word overthrow, overthrow, overthrow to describe Sodom and Gomorrah. It really brings back the picture about how man is man in Sodom and Gomorrah built his life without God, in rebellion against God's laws. God tolerated it for so long, and then without warning, sudden destruction. And so he calls it an overthrow. The overthrow reminds us of when the Lord Jesus Christ went into the temple. In Mark eleven fifteen, they came to Jerusalem. Jesus went into the temple, began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple, overthrew the tables of money chambers and the seats of them that sold doves. See, there were money changers there, and there were sellers of sacrificial animals there, the doves in the temple. You know, it was a business. It was a business. It was a good business. I mean, you know, how, how much better business can it be when you have people that have to buy, you know? <laughs> so some were exchanging, you know, they were exchanging the common money for the temple money because, you know, you couldn't use common dirty money. You have to use temple money to buy these sacrifices. So and we can picture the exchangers there. Maybe they had their rates posted. Maybe there was competition, you know? Like when you go into Mexico, you know, I'll give you some money for these pesos and dollars and so forth. And then others were selling sacrifices and, and some had better positions for their stalls than others. And, and if you walked into the temple burdened down. I mean, here you are. You're burdened down. You're burdened down with guilt and shame of your sin and you're under conviction. And you know you've got this great need. I've got to get right with God. I've got to offer a sacrifice. What happens when you went into the temple? You were assaulted by the business of forgiveness. You know, the clamoring. You get to come over here to my stall. I'll give you a better exchange rate for your common money, your temple money, so you, you can buy your sacrifice. Come over here. Look at my exchange rate. It's better than the other table. Special discount just for you. <laughs> your money's going to go farther if you exchange at my table. You'll be able to buy a better sacrifice for God. God will be impressed. You know, and then you, you walk past there and you're hustled. You know, buy from this man his animals for sacrifice. Look at my animals. Not one blemish on them. Take a look. You know, perfect sacrifice for whatever your sin is. God will be really impressed. You know, how can you turn it down? Buy my animal. So frankly, going to the temple to offer a sacrifice for your sin was just not an experience that you look forward to. And you were expecting to go to pray and to meet with God. And you came to meet with God. And instead, you meet with the hustlers. It was irritating. And it was business as usual on the day that the Lord Jesus entered into the temple, as it says there. It's just business as usual. And it describes and says that he wouldn't suffer any man in Mark eleven sixteen. He wouldn't suffer any man to carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house 
of all nations a house of prayer, but you made it a den of thieves. No one expected the Lord Jesus to go into this rage with he made the small the cords, the whip, and uh, cast out all these money changers. And no one expected him to overthrow, as it says, the money to the tables. It was a surprise. And that's the word that was used, overthrow. And just like God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and then God describes those who were still alive among Israel, he said, you, you were in the burning, I plucked you as a brand out of the burning. See, that's how we should look at the lost today, the lost who are still alive. God says for us to look at them and see the death of the lost is the burning and to see those who have not died as firebrands plucked out of the burning. And God wants the lost to say to themselves, why haven't I died and gone into this burning? Because I'm a firebrand. I've been plucked out of the burning. You know, a friend, tradesman, that did some work for Scanabodies 27 years ago, and he was 56 years old at that time. And at that time, I thought he was old, you know, but now I don't think that way. But I remember he resisted coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hadn't seen him for 27 years. And so now he's 83 years old. And uh, this last week, he's doing some more work. And when he saw me, he says, Tom, remember me? And I said, oh, yeah. I said, how are you? I said, how are you? And he said, I'm still alive, he says. And he still resisted coming to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. So I thought of Amos 4. God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. But you, you're a firebrand plucked out of the burning, still alive. And the tragedy is the next part of the verse in Amos 4 when it says God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and you were as firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet have ye not returned unto me. That's the tragedy. Yet have ye not returned unto me. You know, just to say I'm still alive, the next question is why has God kept you still alive? For one purpose, to return to God, to come to God. And so God says to, in Amos, in Israel, he says, Amos 4, prepare to meet thy God. Now, how does a person prepare to meet God? By doing what it says in Colossians 1.20, having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. How do you get prepared to meet God? By making peace with him through the blood of his cross. By reconciling with him through the blood of his cross. By coming to God and letting him reason and propose to us, I propose to you my blood to make your sins as white as snow, it says in Isaiah 1. And he says in Amos that he's the one who formed the mountains, created the wind, and he says he has thoughts that we would not expect him to have those thoughts. When it says he's the one who made the mountains and creates the winds, we would not expect him to have those thoughts. But it says in Amos 4, he declareth unto man what is his thought. And he declareth, or he proclaims, or he preaches to man what his thought is. And his thought that it was proclaimed by the Lord Jesus Christ when he said in John three seventeen, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, that's God's thought. God's thought is that man during his life on earth should be saved from his sins through the Lord Jesus Christ. See, God's thought he proclaimed in Luke 9, 56, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. See, God's thought is that man during the time of his life on earth should not be destroyed, but be saved. That's God's thought. He said, God's thought, he said in Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The one who creates the mountain, the one who forms the mountains, the one who creates the wind, he's going to give his life as a ransom for worms such as us? That's God's thought. 
God's thought is that man during his life on earth should accept God's offer as a ransom, God's own life as a ransom for his sins. God's thought has been declared, it's been preached, it's been proclaimed to man. Reconciliation through the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are the declarers. That's our job. We are the declarers along with God. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Now then, we, as ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. See, we declare God's thought. We proclaim it. We preach God's thought. He's got an amazing thought. You wouldn't believe it. He has a thought of reconciliation. We stand in God's place, and we beg. We beg the lost. We beg the sinners. Be reconciled to God. Now, in Genesis 24, we read that in the last part of that verse, verse 1, it says, and God, the Lord, had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham is now blessed in all things. The key to understanding the life of Abraham is to see that Abraham had this vital secret, this vital secret, and it was his relationship with God. And the highlights, as we mentioned last week, the highlights of Abraham's life were the times that he met with God. That was the highs of his life. And so Abraham looks back on his life, and he has one conclusion that he comes to. He says, I have been blessed by God. We hope you enjoyed Tom Cantor's teaching today here on Friendship with God. We want to encourage you to get two resources from Tom Cantor, who is the owner and operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum and a scientist. We've got two books, Dinosaurs in the Bible and Your Origins Matter. Both of these books are available for a donation of $20 or more, and we'll send you Dinosaurs in the Bible and Your Origins Matter, all science and Bible-based books for you as your support of Friendship with God. Call us now at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, or go online to friendshipwithgod.org.